Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, and I've been helping corporations and individuals with uh, planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our uh, weekly show. We are right here every week, um, posted up on uh, podcast yeah, right Fridays. on MoneyMD.net. Yep. Yeah, you can also go to our website. Steve, we have an easy way for people to listen, you know, uh, the the podcast, right? Exactly. People listen to the podcast. We have a, um, a button on the uh, right-hand side of the uh, of the website um, that you can click on it, and you can go listen to previous shows. It's um, segregated uh, by different topics, so make it easy. You can download that to your iPhone as well, and there's a lot of different ways that we, uh, we try to be accessible. Yeah, so there's no excuse for not listening to Money Doctors. You can go back and listen to all of our shows. Um, just as we mentioned. Also, do check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. Um, and you can reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, um, <clears throat> I think we have a great show here today. Again, uh, very timely, interesting information here. You know, the first one we're going to talk about here is facing a layoff. Um, five things you never want to leave without. You know, this is not intuitive, but mm-hmm. if you get that, if you're in the unfortunate situation of, of being on a layoff or being faced with maybe losing your job, there's some things you want to make sure you get before you leave the office immediately. And we're going to talk about that. They're, they're pretty yeah. good. This is off of monster.com, uh, you know, employment website, and they, they have some really good information here. So you want to stay tuned for that. Yeah, if you don't get it before you leave, you may not get it at all. That, that's the key. Yeah. That's the key. You got one shot. That's you right. Know, maybe maybe an hour or two if it's short notice. You got to take advantage of it. And then we're going to follow up with an article about uh, the characteristics of the millionaires next door. And we, we talk about this occasionally, and there's some pretty interesting stats uh, as we go through this, there'll be a lot of numbers in here, but um, for those of you listening out there, it's it's some good things to think about. Um, you know, there's not a, a you know, an exact path to being millionaire status. There's a lot of different ways, but there are some common themes that we see, and we'll kind of highlight those as we go through that uh, topic. Yeah, that's not intuitive either. I mean, there there are some unique characteristics, as you mentioned, that you want to pay attention to that... If you incorporate that in your lifestyle, it will probably make a big difference as it has for all those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the California Public Employees Retirement System. And, Steve, they've, they've done some projections, and most, most pension plans do. And we, we hear about pension plans that are struggling. You know, the South Carolina state pension has struggled uh, recently, and it's not uncommon but uh, some of the calculations that California did, um, it's kind of fuzzy math a little bit. Back in 1999, um, they projected that their, their pension amount would grow from $159 billion to about $615 billion over about a 16, 17-year time frame. And uh, that was driven by an 
0.25% annual rate of return plus yearly contributions. Wow. Um, the fund is only at 295, 295 billion versus 614 was the estimate. So way less than half. Way less. And if you look at the where it started in 99, that was kind of the peak of the market. That's if right. If you remember right before the tech and before 9-11. And so it's been a really pretty tough, you know, 16, 17 years when you started from that, that beginning point. That's right. Plus, you know, back in the 90s, everybody was thinking, you know, 12% return for the stock market or something like that. Uh, we gotten kind of, we had had been kind of spoiled with above <clears throat> average returns. And, you know, companies like the California Public Employees Pension Plan, they were making some pretty lofty projections for a pension plan mm-hmm. with eight and a half percent return or eight and a quarter percent return per year. You know, and that just shows the fallacy, I think, of looking at short-term history and projecting that out mm-hmm. over long periods of time. Yeah. You know, you need to plan your future based on really long periods of history and more average type, you know, rates of inflation and return, not on recent history. And they got a little overly optimistic there, and it's killed them. Yeah, it's doubled their balance. They're they're in a huge shortfall. And, you know, the way they're going to make that up is, you know, less benefits for the participants. I mean, there's no other <clears throat> exactly. way to do it. Exactly. So very interesting fact of the week. So lesson for all of us to learn here Mm -hmm. about looking at long-term history and not short-term history. Okay, and speaking of which, that leads up to our first topic here, and that is if you're facing a layoff, there are five things, John, you cannot afford to leave without. And we're going to talk about those. This is by Caroline Potter from Monster.com article here recently and you know that the sober truth is these days businesses do change and plants get shut down we've seen a lot of that over the last number of years um we saw that here with dsm fibrant Mm -hmm. company here um very recently in the in the midst of that and others in our area over the years srs has had a lot of layoffs over the years so i mean if you find yourself um being shepherd into a conference room unexpectedly with your coworkers. Mm. you know it could be the news of a pink slip it may not be that impromptu pizza party you were hoping for <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah you know you you may feel blindsided if that were to happen to you um but you you you, you gotta control your emotions um you might get a little angry you might get sick you might get panicked but you got to fight through that for the, through the momentary uh, momentary confusion to get your bearings and take some immediate actions to help plan for your future before you get out of the office. Yeah, that's right. So, so Steve, during this layoff meeting, you know, there's going to be a lot of adrenaline racing through your body, and like you said, you know, you you, you may be angry or panicked or whatever, but you gotta you gotta step back. You, get, you know, take a you know, it's, it's probably difficult, but take a step away from where the meeting that you're in, um, sit down, maybe ask for a cup of coffee, you know, then gather your wits and develop a quick plan on how you're going to get these five things we're about to discuss. I mean, these are things that you probably wouldn't think about. So you're, you're likely to get a couple of weeks notice if it's a general layoff. Um, if you've been singled out for some reason, then you may have an hour. So you got to use it wisely and ask for the right things before you exit. So if you follow these five steps, um, you know, to make sure that you're leaving the building with your dignity and uh, some other things that, that you're going to need to land on your feet. So here's the, uh, here's the five list. That's right. So number one here on the list, is, again, is not something you would probably think about, but it's your contacts. Mm. You, if you don't have a backup of your contact list at home, the very first thing you need to do is get a copy of your contacts, says uh, the, the author of this 
this article at monster.com. I mean, they're right. I mean, <clears throat> you know, if you're in a conference room and you're being seen out the door, maybe you can't. But if you get back to your desk and you sit down, the first thing you need to do is to try to copy your contact list off your computer um, and get a copy of that. You know, and if it's if somebody's hovering over you, maybe you just say, look, you know, I'm just downloading my Outlook contacts. Um, but if you can, you want to copy your entire Outlook PST file, your OST file. You know, you have one or the other if you have it in Outlook, have all your contacts in there. But you can also get your emails. That would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. But you could go back and look if you can get a copy of that file. Um, very important. I mean, those contacts, those emails, they can be invaluable when you start to look for a new job to have people that you can contact, particularly the outside sources. Um, you know, they're paramount, paramount to jumpstarting your new job search. You want to write down uh, uh, each of your outside contacts, have, have access to them, um, be able to contact those people, um, let them know that you've been laid off. Give them a you know a paragraph about what you're looking for. Um, your network will immediately start you know looking for you if you if you're able to let them know. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly people in the business world, you know. So while you're you know distracted and dealing with other tasks, you, you need to let people know and get people out there helping you mm-hmm. and ask for help in finding a job. And you got to have your contact list to do that. If you get out that door and you don't have your contact list. It could be impossible. It could be very difficult, if not impossible, to get it after the fact. Yeah. You know, they're not going to let you take your computer back home. Not That's likely. Right. That's Most right. Most companies, you know, they're going to they're going to lock up your computer. They're not going to let you access it <clears throat> once you leave. Yeah. You're going to have probably one shot at that. Yeah, that Outlook file is a treasure trove of information. So I like sure that. That's is. a good one. To start off with, another one here is don't leave without a layoff letter. I mean, get something in writing about this termination before you leave the premises, says Ryan, who is a a former human resource executive. I mean, unemployment is not retroactive, so you should be able to go to your local unemployment office within 48 hours, and having such a a letter will help. So if you walk in with something in writing from your former employer saying that you were laid off and, um, and you worked there from this date to that date, it'll speed up the process of getting that check. So... You know, because most unemployment checks aren't um, as much as regular way, uh, wages, it's important to bring in as much money as possible as quickly as possible. So also having this letter will help verify to any potential new employer if asked that a layoff occurred and it was not, uh, you were not fired, you know, for, exactly. for cause. So again, that layoff letter will just help you kind of open some doors as you go and search for new things. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, and this next one here is kind of intuitive, but it's probably not something you'll think about in the heat of the moment, and that is getting your last paycheck. Um, They say it is imperative that you get that in your hands and your vacation pay, if at all possible. You know, it's a legal requirement if you ask for it. So if you think to ask for it, they have to give it to you. Um, Then people can go through heck chasing it down if they leave without it. And if you ask for it, they, it's a law that they have to give it to you. So, you know, if they can't hand it to you, you know, a live check, you know, ask for a written statement of when it's coming. Also make sure you, you've, you're paid for any time off that you're entitled to, such as accrued vacation or sick days. You know, if you're getting severance um, and an HR person tells you that it will be here in three weeks or three months, um, get that in writing, too, so you have some idea of when it will really be coming. And be sure to ask about any bonuses or pay increases that may not have gone through yet. Um, there's no harm in asking. So mm-hmm. you want to try to 
get all the concessions you can. You really have one good time to do that, and that's on the way out the door, you know, when they're probably the most gratuitous to you that they're going to be yeah, that's right. in trying to help you out. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. That's a good one. Another one here on the list is don't leave without your COBRA uh, insurance information, so your medical policies. You know, Make sure you get your COBRA information about continuing your medical insurance from HR before you leave. I mean, you should receive a written document that indicates that all your insurance will end on a specific date. And you don't have to panic about pricey COBRA payments immediately as you have about 45 days to retroactively enroll. But you'll you'll need that registration materials, and you must know what your termination date is as well. And, Steve, we see this, but, you know, COBRA is very expensive. Um, but if you don't have another place to turn, um, you know, you may have to use that until your next job, particularly if you have some type of pre-existing conditions that uh, are going to require some kind of treatment. So make sure that medical piece is very important. It sure is. Yeah, that's that's a great great one there to make sure that you know how you're going to keep your insurance going for a while. Um, and the next one here on the list is don't leave without a recommendation. Um, you know, th- this is a situation, it depends on who you know, but... If you're in a conference room and your boss is saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry, this layoff's because of our new product line isn't selling the way we thought it would, then you should immediately ask, you know, can I use you as a reference? You know, can I get a letter of recommendation from you before I leave? Um, you know, your boss is likely going to agree if you ask him at the right time um, while they're trying to soften the blow for you. So ask your supervisor to detail your strong performance in the position that you've had, your strengths, um, to mention that your departure is because of the company's financial position. Um, She also suggests asking for an endorsement on LinkedIn and accepting whatever additional, you know, help they'll offer to you. Um, Yeah, they're a big advocate here in this article, you know, about helping their employees and, you know, they say they've actually helped some people, you know, write their resume. So you might ask for help in, in resume writing um, as well, you know. But you should tap into whatever the company has to offer, whatever their benefits are, and ask about that before you leave uh, all these things so that you, you have a chance to, to, to take advantage of whatever they can give you. Um, yeah. So, and like you said, doing that early on in the process is is key. That is the key. So those are the five things here, but there are some next steps too. Yeah, of course, when you know that you're going to get laid off, it's really time to to get a transition plan together, uh, which will take into account you know all your financial resources, trying to cut expenses to the bare bone while you're out of work. I mean, you'll definitely want to create a budget and uh, cut out any kind of discretionary spending until the picture is a little bit clearer and you have another job lined up and it's no time to, to sulk about your misfortune and treat yourself to added pleasures to run up, you know, the credit cards and make yourself feel better uh, with the spending spree. It's, it's really time to, to buckle down get serious, take the necessary steps uh, to recover and, and move on and get past this, this point. Uh, you can certainly reward yourself with a weekend away after you land the next job and weather that storm. But, you know, for now, just keep it simple. Keep focused on what you need to do to get a steady stream of income, you know, coming back into the household. And the budget's a great way to do that. It'll give you a little bit of peace as you go through that process. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe it's time to, to sell something, you know, like a, an extra car or a boat. Um, you know, you, you'll need to identify exactly what you have coming in and what your liquid resources are that you have, and then take the steps necessary to make sure that you're going to have at least six months 
um, resources until you find your next job. You know, and create a fallback plan if it if it takes longer than you think to find that new job. Maybe it takes a year. So you need to have some contingency planning done there. But with the right attitude and planning, you can most likely weather the storm without any damage and minimal disruption to your financial picture if you just calmly take these steps and kind of set yourself up for success in finding that next job. So that's what you need to do if you're facing a layoff. Hopefully that's not you and you're not in that situation. But if you are or if you know anybody, um, you know, have them listen to this this podcast. Yeah. Great information. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with receiving an inheritance of about about two hundred thousand, very, very large sum. Um, and they said, uh, you know, I have an emergency fund already set aside of about fifty, and I have some consumer debt of about forty, and then a mortgage of seventy-five. So the question is, is should I pay off the debt? So two hundred thousand is kind of coming into the picture, and they have. 40 consumer debt and 75 mortgage and you know we're believers in not having any any debt so um you know an easy answer would be write some checks and you'll be you'll be debt free and you could take the rest of it and and set it aside in a like a brokerage account um and try to grow that for the future now that's dangerous steve if you don't take that mortgage payment or those consumer payments and and save those if you just go off and spend those willy-nilly then that's probably not the best answer for you yeah, that's right. I think you really need to step back and look at the whole situation. Um, and as you alluded to, you know, certainly you're going to want to pay off the consumer debt mm-hmm. with that, right? Yep. I mean, everybody knows you want to be out of that. But some people, they don't have the discipline to take that extra income after they pay off their mortgage and apply it to a Roth IRA or going somewhere every month. And so if you do pay off the mortgage, I think you need to be disciplined enough to take that extra income and immediately apply it to your future right? and, and allocate it to retirement savings um so you have to be careful but you also need to look at your whole picture you need to look at your plans you need to do some planning mm-hmm. and figure out you know what are your plans are your kids going to college you know in the near future well if they are then maybe you don't want to pay off the, the mortgage yeah right i mean so what what are your best uses for that two hundred thousand dollars over between now and retirement and the rest of your life to help you accomplish your goals. So now's the time to call your financial advisor. Yeah, absolutely. Do some planning and make sure you make some wise decisions with that money. Yep. So good good question of the week. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and that is the characteristics of the millionaires next door. Those guys that we envy, you know, mm-hmm. that, that have the uh, this simple lifestyle, but they just seem to have no financial yeah. worries whatsoever. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you can't tell who they are. That's right. Because they're not right. driving a you know a eighty five thousand dollar car. They're driving a you know twenty thousand dollar used vehicle that you know doesn't look like a millionaire would drive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you that's know, that's why the same- they're. You know, get what they get sometimes. That's it, you know. But there's lots of neighborhoods and simple neighborhoods (laughs) Mm -hmm. that have millionaires next door. They're in there, and they're there for a reason. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, You know, this is prepared by a marketing pro, one of the services we subscribe to. And, you know, just how many millionaires does America have? And and the latest estimation from the Spectrum Group, it's a research firm that studies affluent and high net worth investors, um, America has more than it ever has before. And, and um, in, in the last year, the uh, last year, the U.S. had about 10 million households with assets of a million dollars or greater, and that excluded their homes. So 10 million um, households had a million dollars or more. 
They were so millionaires. That's less than one percent. We have what, 330 million people that's right. or so in the U.S. So that's like 0.3 percent of the the people in the U.S. Yeah. Now that was an increase, Steve, from 2014, a couple percent increase, um, and, and impressively, uh, 1.2 million of those households were worth between five and 25 million. Now you're so, talking. Yeah, that's some, that's some serious some, money. There. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> a lot of zeros. So the question may come to mind is, how did these people become rich? I mean, did they did they come from money? Um, and the, the, you know, in most cases, the answer is no. I mean, recent edition of the uh, U.S. Trust Insight on Wealth and Worth survey um, shared characteristics of ne- nearly 700 Americans with $3 million or more investable assets. 77% of those uh, respondents reported growing up in a middle class or working class households. So three-fourths of people, you know, were not born into money. I mean, they, right. they made it themselves. Exactly. Um, a slight majority, 52%, said that the uh, bulk of their wealth came from earned income and uh, 32% credited investing. So, um, you know, a lot of people are working out there and, and busting it with, you know, different professions and businesses and so forth. But, you know, there is a way to do it. That's exactly right. Yeah, it appears that most of these individuals benefited not from the silver spoons in their mouths, but from taking a particular outlook on life following some sound financial principles. Um, U.S. Trust asked these multimillionaires to state their three values that were the most emphasized by them, uh, to them by their parents. And the top answers were educational achievement, financial discipline, mm. discipline, and the importance of working. And I think that's really what you see in real life. In our business, we run into a lot of millionaires, um, mm-hmm. certainly, and uh, usually those people are they're, they're, they have those attributes, those characteristics. They they want they have a good education typically, or they value education. They have discipline in their lives financially, and they they really they work. work. They work. <laughs> I mean, they they strive to work. Yeah. A lot of them are small business owners. Mm-hmm. They're entrepreneurs. They're people that go out there and they they bust it. Yeah, that's right. And so this is kind of ties into that. But is education the first step towards wealth? And, you know, there there looks like there's a pretty strong correlation here, Steve. Ninety percent of those polled in uh, in a recent um, BMO private bank millionaire survey said that they had earned college degrees. And, you know, if you look in the, the greater you know, United States, only about 36 percent of Americans 25 to 29 were college graduates. So, you know, 90% had had some uh, college, uh, had a college degree. And interesting, and we we talked about this recently, is a lasting marriage may also help. Studies from Ohio State University and the National Bureau of Economic Research, they both concluded that married people end up economically better off uh, by the time they retire than singles who have never married. In fact, they found on average married people ha- will have 10 times the assets of single people by the start of retirement. And, uh, you know, divorce, wow. on the other hand, yeah, that's a, those are big numbers. Um, divorce, right. on the other hand, wrecks finances. I mean, we see that. The, the uh, study found that the average divorced person loses 77% of the wealth he or she had while they were married. Yeah, that's remarkable the way we see the difference between mm-hmm. married people and somebody getting a divorce. Divorce just destroys uh, yeah, the you, assets. You have two households you have to take care of. That's it. I mean, that's yeah. what it boils down so to. So you you're selling a house in a fire sale and you, you're making all kind of adjustments to try to keep the kids happy and try to hold things together and emotionally. And, and you just make – there's just a lot of bad decisions we see whenever – Somebody gets a divorce, and it's very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So very interesting stats there. Yeah, I mean, most of the multimillionaires in the U.S., <clears throat> this study shows, got off to an early start. On average, they began saving at age 14. Yeah, they had their first job age 15, and they invested in stocks or in equities by the time they were 25. Um, so, I mean, they were savers and workers, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, they started saving early. Yeah, most of them have invested continually as well, or conventionally as well. 83% of them have a poll by the U.S. Trust credited buy and hold investment strategies for the part of their wealth. Uh, 89% reported that that stocks and debt instruments had generated most of their portfolio gains. So kind of a common story mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. just investing in the stock market, diversifying, buying and holding. Yep. That's kind of what we hear, and I think that's true. Yeah. You know, that's from what, what we see in our business, too. Absolutely. Too. Yeah, you know, another um, you know characteristic, Steve, is a lot of these millionaires, they keep a close eye on taxes and also risk. 55% agreed with the statement that it's more important to minimize the impact of taxes when making investment decisions than it is to pursue, you know, the highest possible return regardless of the tax consequence. So, you know, they're looking at taxes. They want to make sure they're making smart decisions. We talk about Roth IRAs, you know, strategies on pulling money out. It does make a difference. Um, in a similar vein, 60% said that lessening their risk exposure was also important, even if they ended up with less yield as a consequence. So just making sure it's balanced, it's, it really boils down to planning That's right. a little bit in that one as well. And, you know, are these people, another question is, is are they entrepreneurs? And uh, the answer is, you know, not necessarily all of them. I mean, there's certainly, you know, quite a few entrepreneurs out there, but the most cited, um, commonly cited occupations were, you know, being in management, uh, about 16% having a professional uh, education or, you know, in the field, like an engineer would right, be another 15%. Right. Educators. That's teachers. Teachers. Yeah. yeah 13%. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different professions that you can get in, that you can become, uh, you know, you can become wealthy. And uh, here's one last detail, which is uh, interesting, uh, you know, certainly worth noting. According to the Spectrum Group, 78% of millionaires turn to finance professionals to help manage their investments. So, well, how about that? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, we do no. see people that come in that feel uh, comfortable that they want to manage their own piece of it. But when you start dealing with those kind of numbers, you know, getting another professional opinion, um, you know, advisors, getting some lawyers involved, estate planners, is probably wise, um, generally can the bring stakes, some value to that situation. The higher the stakes, I mean, when you start talking about some real money that you've saved up, the, the you know, the bigger the risk in doing it yourself. I mean, I went to a meeting yesterday and sat down with, you know, attorney and CPA and the CFO and myself and the client, you know. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, so when the numbers get, when it gets to be serious, you yeah. need to pull in some help right. from a lot of different resources. So it's important to... Um, Take it seriously, and getting help is is part of the key to the puzzle. When you start getting the, when you start saving a lot of money, and you start getting into real money that impacts your future. Sure, sure. So great, great uh, topic there. A lot of characteristics of what you need to do if you want to be the next millionaire next door. That's right. That's right. I like it. All right, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, you know, per Dave Ramsey, he uh, he has a pretty interesting quote. Quote. He says, "You can wander into debt, but you can't wander out." And if you think about that, you know, if you're not paying attention 
um, it's very easy to, to get credit cards and, and uh, car payments and student loans and so forth. So you wander into it. But unless you're super focused on getting out of debt, you will not get out of debt typically. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not. It's not. So, you know, if you do have consumer debt and, and um, you know, student loans and so forth, use a concept that's called the debt snowball to focus and pay off your debts. And that just the debt snowball that Dave talks about is paying off the smallest balance first and get some wins and get some momentum and then take that money that you're paying to that smallest one and go to the next one and just keep going to the you know the next largest one now some people may say well why wouldn't you pay off the uh, highest interest rate one <laughs> and Dave would tell you well if it was about math you wouldn't be in debt in the first place so <laughs> wouldn't be in that situation um, that's, that's right. right so just getting some wins and starting with the smallest one first seems to to work really well for a lot of people out there so you just got to focus and use that debt snowball approach yeah I mean and a big part of it is changing your attitude about debt Right, and that's why we recommend so many people go to the Financial Peace University mm-hmm. classes, because I think going through that exercise really enlightens you and changes your attitude about about debt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot does. of people think it's just normal and it's part of the process to have debt in your life, and you know, to to buy the next car when you feel like you can afford the payment. But that's not the the successful way to do it. And so, if you're going to get out of debt and stay out of debt, you have to have a new attitude about debt. And uh, But following this debt snowball to get out of debt is the first step to get yourself clear of the debt. But in that process, you also need to, to realize that, that debt is not helpful for most people. Yeah, you it's know? not one of the characteristics of most millionaires. It's not. It's so. not. Absolutely. So great uh, prescription of the week. All right. And that leads up to this week's edition, the close for Money MD. Um, but tune in next week on our website, moneyandy.net, to listen to our next uh, prescriptions for more financial help. Yeah. And uh, check us on our website, moneyandy.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneyandy.net or give us a call with your young associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Have a good one.